Welcome to Engineering Career Journeys, brought to you by Australia-wide Engineering Recruitment. This is a podcast series where we interview prominent senior engineers from across Australia and delve deeper into their career journeys and how they got where they are today. We hope that this will inspire and assist up-and-coming engineers in planning their own careers. Now over to your host, David Armstrong, General Manager of Australia-wide Engineering Recruitment. Hello and welcome to today's conversation with Mike Rigby, Technical Director of TALIS. TALIS is a global technology leader with 83,000 employees across 68 countries. In Australia, TALIS is a trusted partner of the Australian Defence Force, delivering a sovereign defence capability advantage and is also present in commercial sectors such as air traffic management, ground transport, security systems and services. Our guest today, Mike Rigby, is the Technical Director for TALIS's Vehicles and Tactical Systems Business Unit and the Explosives Safety Authority for TALIS Australia. TALIS's Vehicles and Tactical Systems Business has over 1,600 employees across 24 locations in Australia and is focused on creating and supporting the next generation of protective vehicles, digitised and high-accuracy munitions, as well as smarter, integrated weapon systems. Mike, thanks so much for joining us. What originally interested you to become a mechanical engineer? Hi, David, and thanks for having me today. It's a really good question. It might surprise you, but um, when I left school, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I had, you know, I recall ideas of wanting to be um, possibly a lawyer or a policeman, a chef, or do something like accounting. But I was also very strong in the traditional, I think, subjects of physics and maths that most engineers are. And uh, so on that basis, the school career advisor at the time, I remember him suggesting to me that maybe engineering at university could be an option that might interest me. It was around the same time that I had a lengthy discussion with my stepdad on the topic of, of what to do post-school. He knew that I wasn't quite sure what to do, and he suggested that there were you know, many pathways to engineering, and that maybe I want to consider something that wasn't directly to university if, if I was unsure. And he said in order to get a taste of, of what engineering was about. So armed with that, I started looking around for apprenticeships and traineeships, and part of his advice was around observations that he had made of, of engineers in the workforce and industry that really weren't well respected because they'd come straight out of, of university and you know, were really just academics and, and didn't understand you know, the hand-on challenges in you know, a production, industrial or construction environment. So looking around, I discovered that the Department of Defence at the time were, were recruiting uh, trainees, technical trainee officers. And in particular, there was, there was one that drew my attention in helping Navy, and it, and it was local as well, but, but doing maintenance and, and engineering work on, on guided weapons. Because around this same time, and I'm showing my age here, where Gulf War I was kicking off as I was leaving school. So, you know, it was the, the first global battle, probably widely televised. There was a lot of new technologies being deployed and used. And so combined with that, I thought, this sounds really interesting. I wonder what they do when they maintain and, and design guided weapons. And, and so I went and applied for the job. And um, shortly after, it turned out I was successful. So I, I had to make a decision and I, and I weighed up. Do I go to uni, which I was successful in getting entry to out of, out of school, or do I defer that for a year and try and get some work experience in line with my stepfather's advice? And what that saw me do was actually go to, to TAFE and do an associate diploma in engineering rather than a degree to start off with. But the beauty of that was that I happened to get full-time work experience. I got to get hands-on experience in you know, fitting and machining workshops and calibration, in repair, in, in design and drafting, and a whole range of things that university 
was probably never going to give me. And I did quite a, quite a good job there in finishing the diploma in, in two years rather than four. And, and on the back of that, they said, Mike, we know you're interested in going to university originally. Would you still like to go there? And you know, on the back of that, you know, we'll have a professional engineering role waiting for you. So in the end, I, I enjoyed what I was doing. I really started finding that engineering was a, a passion of mine. And the hands-on experience really showed me a different side to what potentially I was going to see. And on the back of that advice, I ended up finishing my diploma, finishing my degree in the same time I would have if I went straight to university. But the beauty was I got five years of, of actual hands-on work experience, a whole bunch of life skills, which have, have really um, you know, benefited me probably later on in my, my, my career. If you could go back, would you make the same decision? It was a decision to follow engineering, yes. I, th- I, th- I would make the same decision to um, go down the practical path and, and be patient and, and get that hands-on experience. What was the biggest turning point, Mike, which helped progress your career? Yeah, I, as I reflect back on, on my career in, in preparation for this discussion, David, I identified a couple of different turning points, but, but there's one in particular that I, I probably want to touch on here, and, and it was about 10 years into my career. It's what I would probably call a pivotal moment. I just uh, returned back from living in the UK where I completed my postgrad studies in a Master's of Explosive Ordnance Engineering, and I'd returned back to the, the defence environment that I was in before I went over there, and this was a sponsored course, so it came back to, to utilise those studies. But shortly after that, there was a, a major safety incident with, with some of the products that I was working with or, or dealing with. And unfortunately, six soldiers were critically injured as a result of that event. So the chief engineer at the time asked me to step up and, and lead this technical investigation as a subject matter expert, which 10 years into an engineering career, I didn't necessarily see myself as a subject matter expert. But what this did, it quickly highlighted to me the importance of the experiences and the training that I had to date would be. And it wasn't until this incident that I, I realised I'd learnt so much and had been taught so much. It also hammered home to me how real the work I was doing in the area of certification and product safety really was, particularly with explosive products that I managed. So up until this point, I was doing a lot of work in probably that traditional engineering space, you know, hands-on or doing calculations and design and, and developing product, but, but never really dealing with a, a crisis. I had, of course, seen that and observed it with some of my senior colleagues at the time, but I'd never been involved firsthand uh, with such a, an experience. So what it did, it introduced me to a, a very high-pressure political environment. It gave me that first experience. And, and the reason why it was a pivotal moment, probably at the end of the day for me, was that it allowed me to realise that engineers can't always just sit in the corner doing engineering design work or crunching numbers or calculations. They potentially play a, a much greater role at the end of the day. It also allowed me to quickly understand commercial and operational drivers the politics of dealing with a range of stakeholders at high levels in, in high-pressure environments is an art in itself and not something that you learn from a textbook. It also showed me that engineers really play more than just, like I said, that, that hands-on analytical stuff. You start playing a key role in negotiating with different stakeholders, mediating discussions and trying to find a balance and, a, and navigate your way to a successful outcome. And you really start having your, your professionalism and your, your ethics tested as a result of that. Now you hear about those going through uni and as you start dealing as an engineer, but, you know, they've come to the fore when there's a crisis uh, on hand. And then ultimately what it did, it allowed me to, or resulted in me earning the respect of many senior defence and industry leaders uh, as a result of that, because the, the outcomes and the findings were difficult ones to, to digest by, by some, but they were all considered fair, reasonable and balanced. So in the end, I was able to deliver a safe and suitable outcome. I was able to return to service reasonably quickly at critical operating capability. I was able to make sure that remained safe moving forward. Not long after that, I received a commendation as a result of the work that I did. And then I was promoted to a chief engineer's role, which um, is not something that at the time I envisaged would be the case. And from there, I continued to earn the respect, I think, of many senior people in both the engineering and commercial communities. And, and this, I believe, you know, was a key turning point from being an engineer 
to, to stepping up to being an engineering manager. What an interesting story. It must have been fascinating to realize the impact and the gravity of, of engineering decisions when they're implemented and, and when occasions like the one you mentioned happen. It's such a significant thing to be involved in. It must have been absolutely fascinating, was it? Yeah, it definitely was. Very fascinating for all those reasons I mentioned. And something I, I reflect back on now when, I, when I'm when i stuck in a difficult position and, and certainly at a much higher role now, um, you know, things become more commercial, things become more strategic. It's not just a capability, but there's, you know, sales and dollars involved. So you need to be able to provide the balance and be responsive, but, but also cognizant of key ethical and, you know, professional principles. Are there any resources that have helped you tremendously along your journey, Mike? Yeah, uh, there's many, um, and I, I'm probably not going to bore you with the, the traditional ones of textbooks and conferences and courses and, and all those that everyone has on tap through the internet and, and technology these days. But what I'm going to suggest is probably some of the key resources that helped me are, are being the people around me. And we'll talk a little bit later maybe about mentors and stuff, so I'm not talking about them necessarily, but, but watching and observing different people and how they behave in different environments. I'm an introvert by nature. Most engineers are. It's, it's the nature of the, the discipline. So, you know, I'm not the most vocal in the room normally, but, but what I do, I, I tend to sit back, watch, learn and listen. And that might be watching senior people presenting or arguing the case, or it might be watching junior people and, and how they're responding to, to some of the advice or the feedback. And in particular, I found when you listen, not to just those that know what they're talking about, but probably more importantly, those that don't do the right things, you learn so much more. You learn that what not to do and you learn what behaviours you don't like and what behaviours you do prefer not to present yourself. And none of this is actually taught in the classrooms or the books, unfortunately. So what I've done through those resources, I've learned many valuable lessons on what not to do from people that weren't very good at what they did. I've learned what to do from people that were very good at what they did and engaging with others and freely helping others. I've learned a lot by observing the room and looking at who's talking and, and looking at who's listening. I've also learned a lot from um, people scrutinizing my work. Once again, it, some engineers really struggle with criticism. Some think that they're right from the very beginning. But I found that maybe I'm not right and there, there are other people out there far smarter and cleverer than I that are there providing me genuine feedback. So I've learned to be able, from people to, to be able to develop better work myself, be able to provide better feedback to, to those that I might be reviewing their work or helping out. And also I've learned that um, feedback and criticism from others, whether you respect them or like what they're doing or maybe you don't, either way, all that feedback is a gift I and mean, a gift that can only help you develop your, your abilities better. The ability to give and receive feedback is so important. Yes, I, I think so. I think it's critical, particularly as you um, develop as an engineer. And, and like I said, that's not taught in, in yes. your classroom. Yes. You sound a very practical person, Mike. Textbook is one thing, but getting your hands dirty, learning, teaching something you're very passionate about? Yeah. yeah. And I think, you know, come back to your, one of your very first questions to me, would I do it differently if I had to start again? And, and no, I think they're the reasons why I wouldn't. I think I put down to having gone through from the shop floor yes. um, and, you know, deferred university has given me the ability to gather some of those skills that, you know, I may not have got if I just sat in the corner as a, a textbook engineer. Sure, sure. You touched on mentors. Have you had many along the way? And, and if so, how much have they helped you? Yeah, I, I touched on mentors, but like a couple of other of your guests, I've never actually had any formal mentors. Mm -hmm. I've never been part of a formal mentor program, at least not on the receiving end. And I don't know whether that's uh, a generational thing, whether um, 25 years ago, companies just didn't have those systems in place. But that said, I've had many, what I would call informal mentors. Some of them 
would be aware that they're informal mentors. Others would, I know, are oblivious to the fact that I saw them as a mentor, but their encouragement, their advice along the way, I feel has helped shape me as a person in my career and me as a person outside of work as well in a personal environment. And in fact, I actually keep in touch with most of them today, either through the industry I work in or, or even just socially. I know I can make a call and seek their advice when needed. I know that they'll help me gain the clarity I need to solve the problem I'm experiencing. Probably an important thing from a mentoring point of view that I'd want to share with the listeners is that if you're looking for a mentor, don't always look for the most senior person or the the most uh, recognised or known person. I remember when I started as a trainee, one of my mentors was one of the old toolmakers. He wasn't senior in the organisation, but he'd been there for a while. And he took me under his wing without Mm. me asking. You know, he made it his job to to look after me, to give me the experiences that I needed, that he felt I needed or, or that I was lacking in a practical sense um, that would make me a better a true engineer down the track and you provide practical advice on the way. The other key thing to note if you're looking for a mentor is some of the little things, you know, in particular the, it's the little things that I've taken away that I think are being far more valuable than uh, some of the bigger advice that they've given me. I recall some of the subtle traits of some mentors such as the good ones were, were never too busy to, to listen and help. They always found time to support my development and growth. You know, it was about me, not them. In the background, they also, unbeknownst to me at the time, in a lot of cases, spent a lot of time singing my praises. So they were humble in the background to look after my interests. And I think that's led to a number of evolutions in my, my role and, and career over the time. They also did a good job of helping me see that I didn't really actually need their help to solve the problems. Mm. You, you question yourself mm. a lot of the time, but sometimes it's just a lack of confidence. And the right mentor won't give you the answer, but you'll walk away and you'll see that you actually knew the answer all along. Um, so they'll clear that path for you. I recall um, just a bit of a, you know, I suppose, experience. I recall one in particular where I was asked to present a half-day lecture at the Australian Defence Force Academy. I mentioned earlier I'm an introvert as a typical engineer, so standing up in a front of a, a crowd of people trying to, to educate them is not a fun thing for me normally. Yeah. But my mentor assured me that, nah, you'll be fine, Mike. You'll, you'll have no problem. But what he did at the time was... Um, and this was on a Thursday night when I was saying to him, I can't do it, I can't do it. He actually gave me an option or an out. He said, Mike, plug away at it for the next couple of days. But if you get to Saturday afternoon and you're not comfortable doing it, give me a call. That'll give me enough time to step in and get down to Canberra to do it on Tuesday. We both knew at the end of the day I wasn't going to call him on the Saturday. Yes. <laughs> um, so in the end, I delivered the lecture. It actually was a roaring success. And they asked me back for the next three years. So you know, <laughs> that simple... You know, yeah. confidence in my ability and, like I said, didn't solve my problem, already knew I could do it, but gave me the assurance yes. I could. You know, what I see is some of the, the really good qualities of a mentor. What a great story. Do you believe in a very strong network and do you encourage people to really become connected and have a wide, diverse network? Yeah, definitely, definitely. A lot of my time these days is spent steering our younger engineers to people that I know in my network, you know, that have the right skills or have the right experience or can provide the the independent review or can steer them in the right direction. And and it's about bringing them together. So yeah, I I do. But at the same time, I believe in balanced networks. So my advice would be don't go out there collecting a whole bunch of people just to build your network and show that you've got thousands and thousands of connections. It's building the right ones and you know, nurturing them where you can and recognising what value they add at the right point in time. Quality over quantity. Yeah, exactly. You touched on your masters in the UK. How important were your postgrad studies in order for you to reach your level? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting one because engineers tend to want to educate and educate themselves. So 
in one hand, I think postgraduate studies can be quite important, but at the same time, I don't think they're the be-all and end-all. Now, I say that having a master's, of course, I can say that, but recognise that, you know, I think it did play a bit of a key enabler for me to take on some of the roles I have, in particular in my role as Explosive Safety Authority, the, the master's demonstrates that I, I have the competencies to hold those delegations. But I think the postgraduate studies or the qualification is really just the ticket in the door. It's the ability after that uh, and the skills that I've developed over the years that probably allow me to fill that role. And so things like some of the soft skills probably become more important in the latter part of the career where the master's allows me to take on that senior role or that senior delegation it's the soft skills that allow me to execute that role, whether that's um, how to communicate and manage with people, how to show empathy, how to show respect, mm-hmm. how to engage and negotiate, and how to think rationally. They become far more important, I think, and, and they're only things that can be developed over time. So for those out there thinking postgrad quals are the answer, this may be the case, but I would suggest weigh this up because it's not the only answer. Sometimes spending that effort in developing yourself personally actually will reap far greater rewards than you know, the because postgraduate qualifications are a lot of effort and a lot of time. So through learning experience, I would suggest the best way to actually progress is make mistakes, learn, uh, learn, put yourself out there and make mistakes and develop yourself around that. In particular, don't be afraid to make mistakes mm. because they're going to help you get it right in the future. Yes, yeah, sometimes the fear of failure becomes a significant obstacle, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And it shouldn't be. I think you know once you can get the, the mind over that fear of failure, yeah, should it occur, can actually make you successful. Yes. I mean, sometimes, like you say, you can learn a lot from failure and uh, making mistakes. Just just don't repeat them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> learn from the mistakes is probably key. <laughs> Are you involved in much personal development yourself, Mike? Yeah. I, I've done a, a fair bit of personal development. In fact, in order to maintain chartered professional engineering status, um, yep. you know, it's a key requirement. So many hours per year over a three-year period. You know, every five years I, I go through the arduous task of being ordered to maintain my fellow membership of Engineers Australia and my chartered status. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, a fair bit of that um, has occurred. But like I said, the first half of my career, it was probably focused around a lot of, let's say, the, the engineering and technical skills development, whether that's learning a, a drawing package or a modelling software or, um, you know, learning about new products and materials and technologies versus the, the second half of my career, which has been more predominantly around those softer skills and developing emotional intelligence, leadership qualities, business acumen, commercial acumen. So a lot of personal personal development in in both those areas. And and I would Mm -hmm. encourage um, those that are starting out, try and, um, you know, think ahead and and look at as much of those softer skills development Mm. earlier in the piece that you can. And I wish, you know, I was aware of things like my personal profile earlier in my career than than later in my career. Uh, because that would have shaped a, a lot more of my professional development uh, around those things. The, the other key thing that I see as a key part of my professional development activity these days is actually being a mentor. Mentees come to you seeking you to be their mentor and they're seeking to learn from you. But I think unbeknownst to them, the mentor, and certainly in my case as a mentor, I learn so much more from them, I think, than what they learn from me. Fascinating. And, and, and I know when I mentor others, it makes me stop, pause and reflect. Yeah. Because I know others are now actually depending on my experience. So it's not just a discussion. It's actually someone is genuinely seeking out my advice and wanting to learn from my experiences. And, and some of those are, are starting to make some key life decisions or career decisions. So I'm constantly, when I'm mentoring, refining the way I give feedback, uh, gaining a greater appreciation of the challenges others face, which you know sometimes 
you're not quite privy to. And when you understand those, it starts explaining a, a lot of other things. And then it allows me, therefore, to learn and develop personally at the same time. Very interesting. Very interesting comments, Mike. You mentioned previously the, the point which pivoted your career. Looking back, and not to say your career is over, of course, it's not <laughs> many years to come, but looking back, what's been the toughest moment so far? And how did you overcome your most significant hurdle? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think I touched on earlier that there's been a number of, I suppose, pivotal moments or critical events in, in my career that I thought of on reflection. One of those is actually one of the toughest hurdles that I've had. And um, although a negative at the time actually turned out to be quite a, a positive one and, and hence why uh, a pivotal moment. So what I was consulting uh, probably, probably 10 years ago. I was uh, working in the consulting industry, consulting back to defence. Mm-hmm. And I was part of a, a small company that was rapidly growing. And we, we invested a lot of time and effort to, to grow that business to be so successful that a foreign company acquired it along with a number of other companies. And over time, as, as these things happen, changes in organizational structure occurred, dollars became tight, some opportunities didn't come off, and some of the successes they thought were going to happen didn't quite happen. And so despite working hard and contributing significantly to the business, I ended up being made redundant or my position was made redundant. And at the time, this was quite a large shock. I, I've never been in that position or experienced it, having come up through you know, the, the public service and government entities and then smaller business. But what I, I found out that where one door closes, the, the saying is actually true, where one door closes, another one opens. And in hindsight, by being made redundant, it, it actually opened up a, a range of opportunities that I may never have actually discovered or experienced. So what I discovered was at this fairly tough time that many senior people in defence and industry, both in the defence industry and even outside, had actually been watching me develop as an engineer and as a manager for some time. So very quickly, a range of offers started coming through. And to my surprise, the, like I said, the negative experience of being redundant quickly became a positive one and allowed me to, to actually evolve from being not just an engineering manager, but now taking that next step to, a, to an engineering leader. And at the time, those that were engaging with me or talking to me as a result of being made redundant had made mention of a couple of things. You know, one was my professionalism, one that what they were after was someone that had actually come up from the shop floor. And you know, I obviously had that experience. They knew that my ethics... Uh, my professionalism, my reputation in the industry was well known and they were key drivers for them wanting me to join their team. So the toughest part actually came here was actually deciding which option to take or which path to follow. <laughs> so I went from one dilemma, you know, insightful to, to another dilemma within, you know, weeks. Like I said, it opened my eyes to a new chapter in my professional personal development. And what that was, it was the opportunity for me to start giving back also through helping develop and mentor others engineers and scientists alike, because up until this point, you know, I'd been in that managerial sort of role and, and I, I actually hadn't really done much first half of my career in helping develop others. So, so it helped open up that opportunity and, and probably that hidden skill of mine as well. So, It sounds like it was a really sliding doors moment. Could have easily gone another direction, but you really chose the positive path. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, it was, it was unknown territory for me at the time. Um, and yes, it could have gone in, in many different directions. Um, but in hindsight and on reflection, I think you know, it was probably a really positive turning point in my career. If there was something you'd look back at and wish you'd known when you'd started your career, what might it be? Yeah, I've touched on a couple of these already, but I, I'll, I'll, I'll re-emphasise them because I feel that they're important. Um, mm-hmm. And there are so many things, of course, after you've spent 25, 30 years in the workforce, as you'd appreciate. But the things I probably focus on, and, and these aren't technical as such, and the reason I say this is that, you know, it will give you much more time to, to invest early in your career in 
identifying and developing what they call your blind spots. So, you know, I spent a large part of my latter part of the career, um, you know, focusing on these areas. I wish I had known of these concepts earlier. I think learn to communicate and, and probably importantly as part of that, communication is a two-way street, so learn to listen as well, which, you know, this is not something that engineers are, are traditionally very good at in general. Be genuine in everything you do. It will get noticed, uh, as I relayed with that example of being made redundant and, you know, people yes. watching my development. Part of that was that they knew that, you know, I had a reputation of being genuine, being open, being honest and doing the right thing. So I think being genuine will help you with your reputation amongst your peers, your colleagues and, and others in the industry. As, as I say, someone whose default personality type is introvert. And if I knew that earlier, I could have done so much more about it. But um, as being a, a true introvert, I would say, don't be afraid to actually put yourself out there. It's actually not all that bad. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to ask and don't be afraid to make mistakes. Develop empathy. Another thing engineers aren't very good at, but, you know, develop empathy. You, you, know, you never know what someone else's situation is. And, and I've made many mistakes over the years in not understanding that side of my, my blind spot. So, you know, take the time to, to develop that empathy and, and really understand what's driving people and, and why they may behave or respond the way they are or believe in, in, in things that they believe in. And then lastly, develop your business and commercial acumen early. Engineers are commonly seen in industry as lacking in, in this area and they tend to come under a, a lot of criticism in, in some of those high-pressure moments when, um, you know, from non-technical business leaders who just want results and, and don't understand that you know, there is some challenges in, in, say, that engineering solution. So it's, you know, develop the business commercial acumen so you can provide a balanced um, rationale as to why something is needed and why money needs to be invested or time needs to be spent. There's so much more than being a true engineering leader than just engineering uh, definitely, definitely. I think once again, to be that true sort of leader in, in a in a business world, the, the the engineering qualification is once again probably a foot in the door or a ticket yes. in. But yes. um, it's it's all those soft skills and business skills that you know really come to the fore later on in the career. Great message. What do you see the future for engineering in Australia, Mike? Yeah, I think uh, engineering has a, a really strong future in Australia, uh, mm-hmm. and certainly uh, you know, in particular in defence, the, the industry that I'm in. There's an unprecedented level of, of funding becoming available and some very large acquisition projects that are you know, either underway or, or being established, and, and these are going to run for, for many decades to come. You, you always hear that you know some of these programs that, that are starting up, some of the, the roles that will be required, the people aren't even born yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how long these projects are running. So. I think there's many opportunities. We talk the wider engineering environment. There's so, so many exciting technologies coming through, whether that's things like additive manufacturing, digital technologies, Industry 4.0, the, the list is endless. And if we focus in on, say, New South Wales, some of the, the range of large infrastructure projects, whether it's road, rail or, or air, is enormous. Being Sydney-based, we, we have a, the new Badgerys Creek Airport that's being developed. It is a monstrous endeavour with amazing opportunities coming down the pipe, I think, for, for any young engineer that really wants to get out there and get their hands dirty. So I think for upcoming engineers, many, many opportunities now and in the future. And I think yep. you know, engineering in Australia really has a bright future. Yep. It's been fascinating hearing your journey, Mike. You've been very fulsome with your answers and it's been very informative and, and interesting. I've got one last question, which I guess is sort of a, a summary from your perspective. And the question is, you know, can you please offer some, some final advice that you could give to a, a, a young person wanting to pursue a career perhaps similar to your, your own? Yeah, certainly. And, and, and it's probably not dissimilar to some of the advice I um, give to those that I mentor now. Firstly, it would be be willing to try different things and get that hands-on experience, you know, step outside of your comfort zone. The other one would be patient. Uh, dollars and title 
aren't everything. People will recognise your talent. People will watch your development and the rewards will come if you do the job well. Don't be afraid of a sideways step as well. It's not all about necessarily jumping the ladder quickly and going forward. Mm. Sometimes that sideways step can actually open up new opportunities or, or other opportunities you may not have ever thought of. You know, so it's not a matter of necessarily getting to the top first. And always look for opportunities to develop your skills and become a well-rounded engineer, like I said, touching on you know, things mm. like business acumen and self-development. I would suggest always be professional, polite and ethical, depending what industry you're in, but I don't think it'd be any different to, to mine. It's a very small world. People do remember you um, and they remember you for a long time, um, whether that's for good reasons or more importantly for bad reasons. Respect everyone that you deal with in the organisation and stakeholders. I see too many young engineers coming through that don't make the effort to, to talk to non-engineers or treat the, you know, the receptionist in a different way they might treat mm. someone else. Us older engineers that have been around a long time, we actually talk to a, a lot of those people. And um, I know when I do interviews and uh, you know, I, the first person I will ask feedback on is the person that showed them to the, the interview room to see whether their, their attitude was very different to someone else that they, they thought didn't have the degree that they did. Don't be afraid to seek input and help from, from specialists and others around as well. Like I said earlier, um, criticism, feedback, review and advice is actually a gift, should be seen as a gift and not a, a criticism of, of the work that you do. And then finally, engineers are, are naturally conservative, so they have a tendency to find reasons why something can't be done. I would suggest flip that mindset around and, and work out how to achieve the desired outcome. If I could be as blunt as quoting from our Talus leadership model, there's a, a criteria in there around you know, shaping solutions out of complexity, which I think is really pertinent to engineers. You know, we deal with a lot of complex problems as engineers, mm. but you know, the challenge is how do we make those less complex and how do we shape solutions out of them for the business um, or operational needs? A can-do attitude. Yeah, I think so. Tremendous advice. Valuable takeaways there, Mike. Really appreciate your time. Mike Rigby, Director of Talus Australia. Thank you so much. David, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. We hope you have enjoyed this podcast episode of Engineering Career Journeys. Please like, subscribe and provide feedback. Australia-wide engineering recruitment can be found at australiawide.com.au or on our LinkedIn page. We look forward to presenting more interviews with interesting engineers shortly.